tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the Bible teachings, and tonight's message is on the book of Colossians. Paul's writing this letter to the Colossians, you know, while he's still in prison for announcing that Jesus is that risen Lord. So this letter is addressed to people that Paul has never really met in a church community that he didn't start. You know, this church is in Colossia, and it was started by one of his co-workers, you know, a man named Empiphras, you know, who was from Colossia, that he had recently visited Paul in prison, and he updated him on how well the, the Colossians were doing overall, but he had mentioned some of the cultural pressures that were tempting them to turn away from Jesus. So Paul was writing this letter to encourage the Colossians to address some of these issues, you know, that that were raised and challenged them to, to grow into this greater devotion to Jesus. You know, we live in a culture that's screaming at us. You know, and it's so easy to, to get distracted in our culture. You know, and it's so important that that we schedule out time to be devoted. You know, that the guys in the house and I, you know, we've we've scheduled out, you know, from seven to eight in the morning that we, we read and we pray every day. You know, I've had many guys come to the house that do we gotta do this on Sunday too? I'm like, yeah, we do this on Sunday too. Why? Because our relationship with Jesus shouldn't be resting on the fact that we go to church. And if our relationship with Jesus is simply, I go to church on a Sunday or whatever day that you go to church, that you're missing a huge component. And this is where we get dried up, and this is where religion starts to set in, and this is where we start to force ourselves to follow the rules, or we force other people to follow the rules, is because we're not in this relationship with Jesus who's filling us from the inside out and refreshing us on a regular basis. And if we get distracted by culture, we get distracted by people, we get distracted by work, we get distracted by family, so slowly sometimes it starts to creep in and we let go of one thing and then we let go of another thing and then we let one thing back in and then we let another thing back in and then before you know it, the enemy's pulling that rug out from underneath us and we find ourselves in this place of how did this happen again? You know, usually it's something that we've done over and over again, you know, and we find ourselves thinking that we've got it figured out, and then we find ourselves knowing that we don't understand what's happening. So Paul is addressing, you know, basically teaching them that devotion to Jesus is an important piece to the puzzle as you have culture and other things around you that are trying to steal your attention. So Paul opens this letter with some prayers. You know, the first thing that he likes to, he's addressing is that, that he learned from, you know, his friend, the Colossians have been totally faithful to Jesus, showing the love for God and their neighbors. And because of their hope of what is to come, this new creation that Jesus is talking about, that he has in store, so he moves on this to grow in their wisdom and understanding of who Jesus is, and that their true image is in this invisible God, that in Him there is a fullness of the character and the purpose of God, that He was embodied in human form, but He was this firstborn. You know, it's an Old Testament phrase that refers to His royal status over all creation. 
that he was the firstborn in God's, you know, family, you know, and that, you know, as we, we begin to learn who Christ is, that we see how much of our lives don't match up with what he's asking us to be, you know, and it makes it real easy to shut our Bibles and just go to church because He's asking for us to change certain areas of our lives, give up certain areas of our lives, start doing new things, start trusting in Him in ways that are very unfamiliar and scary for us. You know, but the culture screams at us that that's not how we should live. But as we read our Bible, we start to see the pattern that Jesus has given us. You know, and He's asking us to lay down certain areas of our lives and trust Him in certain areas of our lives and fight through certain areas of our lives and do that with this loving, you know, nature, you know, and it's like, I don't get it. I, how, how do you love people? You know, I don't know how to love people. You know, I used to, you know, throw this around and it was a little joke that I had that Moses got the Ten Commandments wrong because there should be some, something in there about hit your neighbor in the face with a shovel, not love them. You know, that I didn't care for people. You know, I had trust issues. You know, I love issues. Everybody that's ever told me that they love me are the people that hurt me the most. You know, so love God. Where's God been? You know, I've had all this pain in my life. You know, love thy neighbor as thyself. Like, if I love my neighbors as I love myself, that everybody would be dead around me. Because I did not like myself very much. You know, there was a time in my life that I would rather hang out with people that I, I don't like than hang out with somebody that I hate, and that person is myself. So I found myself hanging out with a bunch of people that I didn't really care for because I didn't want to be alone with my own thoughts, you know, and which usually led me to, to crazy things and, you know, got me into a lot of trouble, you know, and it's not anybody's fault. You know, I didn't need help getting into trouble. I, I did a pretty good job all on my own, so I didn't have them to blame, but I did a good job blaming them anyway, <clears throat> you know, that that we have to, to learn to find our identity in Christ. You know, and it's a process. You know, from the day that you make that first step in saying that you want to figure out Jesus and someone leads you through some sort of salvation prayer, you know, you know, a lot of times we think that we're done. Oh, I get to go to heaven. You know, and that, it's not even a biblical statement. You know, it's not even a biblical prayer if you really get down to it. You know, that Jesus asks you to deny yourself and follow him. You know, it, you know, and it's so important that we, we may do a salvation prayer. I did one. You know what I mean? Many of us in here have done one. But for me, the way that I look at that now, it's almost like we're, we've been signed up for a race that we didn't know we were about to run. And all of a sudden somebody, you know, hits the starting pistol and it goes off and they're like, run that way. And we're like, uh, I don't, what am I, what am I doing? You know, and it's like, you know, and everybody's like, you gotta go this way. And we're like, okay, following Jesus. And then we figure out there's a bunch of stuff that they need us to do or want us to do, and we're like, oh, this is great, I love this. And then a little while later, we're like, I hate all this. I just want to go back to my old life. And like, we try to go back to the old life, and we can't because Jesus is messing with us. And we're like, I wish you would just leave me alone. And like, you don't really mean it, but you do, you know. And you know, and we struggle because we don't want to let go of ourselves. We don't want to let go of our wants. We don't want to let go of our desires. We don't want to let go of the way we think. We don't want to let go of control. 
And Jesus is this great, awesome God that steps right into the middle of every single one of those situations and makes it so that we have no choice but to let go. You know, and later on, we're really grateful for that, but in the moment, we just wish we could punch him just once. You know, and I want to fight Jesus. You know, and it's like, you know, I know I'm not the only one that's been mad at him. I know I'm not the only one that's like, just leave me the you know, alone and, and bother somebody else because I've had enough of it, you know, and we just want to give up and, and run away, but we can't because, you know, you know, many of you have heard me say it before, but, you know, I, you know, he's faithful to be with us. You know, he never leaves us or forsakes us. You know, it's one of the greatest promises if you ask me. But when you're trying to run from him, it's the worst curse because he's always chiming in on stuff that you don't want him to chime in on. And he's like, I love you. And you're like, shut up. I don't want to hear that. I don't love myself. You know, you don't love me. You know, and it's like we're arguing with the invisible guy in the, in the sky. And it's like, it makes us feel even more crazy. And, but, you know, in those moments, even though when we're trying to run from him, that we're arguing with him, it shows that we have faith in him. You know, and believe it or not, when we don't think that we hear his voice very much, all of a sudden we're hearing his voice pretty clearly. Like, I pray and he never talks to me except for when I'm running away from him. You know, and, you know, he has a lot to say. But, you know, what I found in my own life is that when I get rid of distractions, he's talking a lot. I've just been distracted with the stuff that's around me that I, you know, a lot of times they're not bad things. You know, it could be some good stuff. It could be even Christian music. But I'm turning to Christian music more I am turning to him. And I'm wondering where he went. And I can't get into his presence because he's asking me to talk to him and hang out with him. You know, and I'm doing the, I'm following, going through the motions. But yet I don't want to stop and sit still long enough to let him, you know, speak to me specifically. Because I want to be moving and running and figure this out. You know, I ain't got time for this, Jesus. And he's got all the time in the world. You know, I ain't got no time for that. You know, it's bronchitis, Jesus. You know, but as we learn that we obey this voice that tells us to let go of this or start doing that, we start to notice that we're weaving through the things that we would normally fall into a lot more successfully. You know, I'm not tripping into the potholes and tripping over the hurdles and I'm not running into the wall. You know, and it's like all of a sudden things start to go well, right? You know, everything starts to fall into place and everything's like, wow, this is really amazing. You know, and it can be, you know, but that it doesn't mean that life won't throw us troubles because it will. You know, we learn to live on life's terms. Because, you know, we might lose a job, the car might break down, there might be a sickness, we might lose a friend, you know, we might lose somebody even closer to us, we might have to make a really difficult decision to put Jesus first in our lives. And it's scary. But then when we do that in obedience to Him, you know, we gain so much more than we could ever lose. You know, and, you know, as we grow in Him, He gives us back more than we could ever imagine. You know, I mean, I look at my own life, you know, and I came to Utica in 2002 with a duffel bag. 
It's all I owned. It's all I was really bringing with me out of an apartment in Binghamton. I've been in and out of jail, and I was trying to make a new life. Didn't want anything to do with God. You know, I was living at my mommy's house. You know, I'm 26 years old. It's not what men do. It's not how, you know, I'm supposed to be working and have a job and have a career and have a family. And, you know, and, and that just wasn't my case. You know, there's some people get married young and have successful lives. You know, I was not one of them, you know. And the rest of my 20s were pretty crazy. You know, a lot of pain, a lot of dysfunction as I was trying to do it my way and didn't want God, sort of wanted God, wanted my God to do my things to my way, and that didn't work out real well. And Slowly enough that I found myself broken enough that someone invited me to a recovery group at the church, and I said, can't hurt me. Here I go. You know, and I heard about this man named Jesus in a way that I've never heard it before. That he loves me more than I could ever be loved. That no matter what I've done wrong, that he'll forgive me if I ask him. That he'll come into my life and, and heal my wounds. That he wants to have this relationship with me. That he'd fill my heart to overflowing. That he would take all my pain. You know, and initially when I accepted Jesus back then, it wasn't about trying to go to heaven. And it wasn't about afraid to go to hell. Because I, I literally believed I lived in hell. And I kind of did. You know, my mental craziness and the way that I live my life, all the dysfunction and all the pain, you know, I'm sure that hell is way worse, but it was hell to me. You know, and many of us have lived in a similar hell that we've created. You know, and we blame everybody and, you know, our mamas and the man, and we'll throw Obama in there just for fun. You know, and, you know, let's blame Trump. It's his turn now. You know what I mean? But I ain't never met any of those people you know, and they ain't, they ain't messed with my life, none. You know, you know the person that's ruined my life more than anybody is myself. You know, and I got to come to terms with that as I'm my worst enemy and I, and I need a savior from me. You know, and Jesus comes into our lives showing us that there's a whole other way to live. You know, and it has nothing to do with rules. It really doesn't have much to do with going to church on a Sunday. You know, it has more to do with this personal relationship that I'm building on a regular basis and, and trying to live the best of my ability according to what that book says. Why do I live according to the book? Because that's what he said. Those are his words. You know, when I, I want to have a relationship with somebody, you know, I'm trying to, to figure out as much as I can about that person, right? You know, any of us been in young love, you know, we, we get in a relationship with somebody and, you know, we, we got, we go, you know, stalker status real fast to figure out everything we can about that person, don't we? Especially you ladies. I know you ladies. Us guys are a little more stupid. We're like, do-do-do, here we go. You know, but you ladies, you're like FBI. Like, I know everything. I know who you've dated. I know where you've lived. I know how much money you made in 1995. You know, and you're like, oh, really? You know, you're already pissed at us. We didn't even do anything wrong yet. You know. Because why? We want to know as much as we can about the person that we're starting a relationship with. And that's what the Bible is. The Bible gives us the most amount of information about a man that we're trying to build a relationship with. You know, and if we really want to know about Jesus, sometimes church is the last place that we want to learn. We definitely don't want to learn it from TV. We definitely don't want to learn it from some movie somebody made. We don't want to talk to the guy down the street either. Half the time he's full of it too. You know, but as we learn what the Bible actually says, 
we can go into church or we can watch TV or we can listen to a movie or we can talk to the guy down the street. And we're like, yeah, I think that you don't really know what you're talking about. Why? Because the Bible actually says this. You know, and Jesus actually did that. You know, and and we start to learn that Jesus was a real person. It's not some made-up fairy tale like, you know, Santa and the tooth fairy. You know, that he actually lived. He actually died. Why? For me, for you, for our sin. You know, when Paul is teaching these people to put their identity in Christ, and that, you know, that he gives them this power that goes far beyond any authority of man. That there's a power in the spiritual realm and there's a power in the human realm. That <clears throat> that this is Jesus. He's the Messiah. And that as they discover that he's the author and the king of all creation, that he also is bringing around this new creation. That Jesus is the head of this new body. You know, and this is referring to Jesus' people. This new humanity. That out of his resurrection that we begin to live in him. You know, and that's us. That's us today. You know, that we're from all over the different place. You know, I find it funny that everybody that lives in my house is not from Utica. You know, that we're not. Like, you know, very rarely, you know, once in a while I get one that pops in. says, I was born and raised here. But 99% of the people that have lived in my house came from hours away. You know, and somehow we're finding recovery in Jesus in this wonderful little city called Utica. Praise God! Good timing. You, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. Utica. Woo! You know, that, that we're finding out who He is. That Jesus is God's glory. is It's present. And that through Jesus' death and resurrection, that God has reconciled humanity, you know, and he's announcing this to the Greeks and the Romans. You know, and and the Greeks and the Romans have, you know, a a structure of their government and the way they've always done things and they have their own deities, you know, and all of a sudden these pesky Christians come in telling them that the real king is Jesus. You know, and, and even today, you start talking about Jesus to people. And they get all bent. You know, and I think that there's a grace in the way that you can do it because we've all run into a Christian that does it poorly. You know, and if you haven't, then you're probably the Christian that does it poorly. Just saying. Just saying. You know, that Paul goes on to state that him being punished for announcing this glory of Jesus that Jesus in his resurrection, he's the Lord and the King of all creation. That he's changed his understanding of suffering. That in it, it's not a sign of defeat. That it really is his way of participating in the suffering of the Messiah. That done out of his love for Jesus, that his hardships actually cause joy. And that when we look at our own hardships through our own lens, that we don't understand that. That we get frustrated and we get angry and we get sad and and we don't understand why God could possibly be doing this to us. You know, and if there is a real God, then why is He doing it? That something in suffering 
reveals an area of our life that isn't Christ-like and reveals an area of Christ-likeness that needs to start to come in. So as Paul was suffering, at first he's like, maybe he doesn't understand it. But through it, through his relationship, you know, he's locked in a prison. He's not going to church on a Sunday. You know, he's around Romans and Greek prisons. Like, he does not have friends around him. You know, and through it, he does not even have a Bible. Like, the New Testament wasn't even written yet. He was writing it in these prisons that were, you know, talking about a letter that he had written to people he'd never met about Jesus in a prison cell. You know, that he's figuring it out through his relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul is a very amazing man. I mean, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by this man. You know, and we would not have New Testament Christianity without him, technically. You know, God chose him specifically because of who he was and what he, how he grew up and his, you know, training and teaching and, you know, and understanding and being a literate man and being a Roman and being a Jew. Like, there's all these components that God wrapped up into Paul so that he could be the perfect one to be enduring these things and writing about them. You know, so as we go through what we go through, there's going to be times that we're we're frustrated, we're struggling, we hate it. I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. But there's something that Jesus is poking at and he's trying to get our attention. You know, maybe we need to forgive somebody we don't want to forgive. Maybe we need to release control. Maybe we need to submit to authority. Maybe we need to, you know, step out and do a job that we don't want to do. Maybe we don't even have a job and we're like freaking out. You know, maybe we're letting go of our family to follow Jesus and try to get sober. And it's completely crazy. You know, maybe our family's fighting us because we're doing this. Maybe our family's our best friend because we're finally doing something different than we've been doing. Maybe we don't have any family at all. Maybe we're completely alone doing this stuff. And Jesus is the only one we got. And all these Christians around us. And we're trying to build relationships. But we don't like relationships because we have trust issues. You know, I'll do it alone. That's worked real well for us, hasn't it? <clears throat> I got this. Is my famous last word. Is like, crash. You know. But Jesus is using these things so that we begin to rely on him. And... We begin to rely on the people that constantly keep showing up in our lives, and we can say, I think God brought that one. And we can honestly say, I think the devil brought that one. You know, like, it's not real hard. Like, this one's trying to get me to do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do. And then this one over here is trying to get me to do a bunch of stuff I really want to do, but I know I shouldn't. You know, it's like, you know, it's not hard to figure out God or the devil and the people that are around us, you know. But we choose, usually choose the one that sounds fun. You know, but I know for me, I was tired of the pain. You know, I didn't come to Jesus because I was trying to get into heaven. I knew that my way of living 100% didn't work. And I destroy everything I touch. If I think I got it figured out, most likely we're going to have a bomb go off. You know, and when I showed up back in 2006, I was done. I'm surrendered. Whatever. You tell me to do this, you tell me to do that, you tell me to jump through hula hoop right now, and that's going to help me get sober and stay, get closer to Jesus. I'm jumping through hula hoops so you tell me to stop. You know, and I absolutely hate that. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. 
But I knew that my decisions were wrong over and over and over again. You know, and it's the hardships that brought me to a place of surrender. You know, what area in our lives do we need to surrender because we keep fighting Jesus? You know, that one's free. That's for you. You can figure that out later. <clears throat> you know, but as we, we come to him, that we're not defeated in our struggles, that we have a Jesus who rises us up out of our brokenness and, and you know, in pain. And he does this out of his love. You know, these hardships are teaching us who he is and that we can find this joy. Because I have to press into Jesus to, to grow in him. You know, that he's telling us, you know, this surprising story. You know, and it's funny, right? That he's telling <clears throat> that there's this resurrected Messiah <clears throat> who created this multi-ethnic family. And that Jesus passes this on to us in his glory. You know, that right now I'm, I'm really more excited than I've been in a long time in this, in this sense is that, you know, for a long time it's just been a bunch of white guys living in my house. It's just the way it is. You know, everybody thinks I'm a skinhead, so they don't want to live with me. Then I adopt a black guy, you know, and all of a sudden I must not be a racist because I love my black son. You know, and I love Leon. You know, he, you know, he's with me. He's got me for the rest of his life. He doesn't realize it yet, but, you know, this is the way this is going to work. You know, and soon, you know, another good friend of mine who's been, you know, with me for many years is moving in, and we got a Puerto Rican that's moving in. You know, so, like, slowly God is changing even the dynamic of the house and bringing different ethnicities. You know, that it's not just a bunch of white guys with bald heads, you know, like, like, it's a little weird over there, you know, even though we keep trying to get guy to shave his head, he just wouldn't, you know, so we got this, this ginger mop that used to live with us, you know, but he moved on, and, you know, and he's doing all right for the most part, just, just messing with you, you know, like, we, you know, in this ministry, you know, we're a little bit more colorful than we used to be, you know, and, we even got like Italians now. Like, phew, that was a musty movie. <laughs> Lord must be moving if we have anyway. You know, that that's you know what Christianity does. It, it breaks down these barriers. That prior to Christianity, you know, that being a Jew and being, you know, ethnically from a certain place was your identity. You know, and now Jesus is breaking through that, you know, you know, I'm this or I'm that and you know, I'm just a Christ follower. You know, that many people argue about this, that and the other thing. You know, I, I'm just trying to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. You know, you'll hear me say this every once in a while, is that we just really don't need any more Christians. We don't need somebody that's just gonna say they're a Christian and go through the motions and I believe in God and you know, I don't need to go to church. I have my own personal relationship with Jesus. You know, like, I just want to punch those people. I'll just be honest with you. You know, we need people that lay their lives down and chase after Jesus because they're the ones that are going to see the power of God move in their lives in such amazing and surprising ways that everything in their life begins to be changed. Going to church alone will never do that. And many of us have tried. And why isn't this working? Where is God? But we may own a Bible, but we don't read it. You know, we may pray prayers, 
but we do our own thing. You know, that we can't keep living in sin and say we believe in Jesus and actively do things that we know are wrong and yet say that we're not. You know, that's what makes atheists is Christians that say things with their mouth but deny them by their lifestyle. You know, we need to be a bunch of people that are saying that I believe in this guy and I live the way he asked me to live to the best of my ability. Not a one of us will ever be perfect. You know, I will never be perfect. You know, and I will never try to come across that way that I got it all figured out. You know, I will tell you my faults on a weekly basis. I'll stand up here and tell you how, you know, screwed up I am. You know, and I believe that that's part of this, you know, is that we can tell the people around us that I'm struggling today. But I'm going to trust Jesus. You know, praise God, hallelujah, brother. You know, like, you know, that's my instant repulse in my head. My my instinct when I hear that is like, no, Jesus. peace be with you, brother. You know, Jesus karate chops. If I do it this way, does it account? You know, what I mean? that He fills us with His glory. He pours out His presence upon us so that we don't slap people. You know, that, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we, you know, begin to change. That it's not rules. You know, that putting on worship music is one of the greatest things that ever happened apart from Jesus. It's because you start listening to the music and you start singing the words and all of a sudden the president comes into the room and it kind of freaks you out. You know, and all of a sudden the hairs on your arms stand up and the hairs on the back of your you know, neck stand up and all of a sudden tears are flowing for no apparent reason other than Jesus likes to make people cry, apparently. You know, and you know that God has visited you in the room or in the car. You don't need to just go to church to get Jesus. You know, and that each one of us has access to this power of the Holy Spirit by devoting some time and dedicating some time and, and worshiping and, and and praising and singing and reading, you know, and that we can do this moment to moment. You can do it several times a day if you want, you know. However, you're not in control, and just because you do it doesn't mean you get it. You know, it's not a tit for tat, like, I want some Jesus now, so I'm going to put on the certain music and play the certain part so I can, you know, manifest the presence of God. That puts me in control of him. When my heart is correct, he shows up. You know, when my heart is not, and I'm trying to force or be in control, that he has a way of being, nope, 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 you're missing it. You know, and he has a funny way of showing up when we don't want him to. You know, it's like the last time that we want to hear him, all of a sudden he's whispering in our ear. But Paul goes on to address some of these cultural pressures that are tempting them to turn away from Jesus. <clears throat> you know, at this time, there was this power of mystical polytheism along the pressures to observe the laws of the Torah. You know, so all these new Christians grew up worshiping various Greek and Roman gods who govern different areas of human life. You know, if you get into the, you know, mythology of certain gods, that they represent certain things, you know, and they represent certain powers that you need or, you know, avenues in life that you need to take. And if you honor this one, you got a good life. And if you honor that one, you got a better life. And if you want some babies, you need to do this. And if you want some 
you know, green, you need to do that. And you want some money, you need to go talk to this one. And, you know, you want the sun to come up, you talk to that one. You want it not to flood, you talk to this one. You know, so they had different deities over different aspects of humanity. And Paul's like basically coming in and destroying all that and saying it's just nonsense. You know, it ruffled some feathers. You know, like they didn't want to hear that. You know, but he's basically telling him, telling them, because, you know, they would be scared of these deities coming back to get them. You know, and that they would be afraid that, you know, the the way they worshipped in their old life would somehow curse them today. You know, and then on the other sense, because they had so many different deities, what's just a little bit of Jesus? We'll just put him over there. You know, like, oh, we want to need some salvation? We'll just go talk to the Jew guy. You know, but, you know, if I need some babies, we're going to go talk to this chick. You know, like, you know, and Paul's basically telling them, like, that's not how this works. Like, it's Jesus or nothing. You know, and a lot of people struggle with that. Well, you know, I like this, and I like that, and I like this, and I like that. And Jesus is saying, it's, it's, you know, you're either with me or against me. There is no middle ground. You know, and some people struggle. And it is what it is. They have to come to terms. But the more they read about Jesus, they start to hear that he is the only way. You know, I don't have to beat them in the head with it. It's up to them to figure it out on some levels, because they don't want to hear it from me. They need to read, hear it from Jesus himself. You know, and it's so easy for, you know, Hindus specifically, you know, they got millions of gods, you know, as they come into this area and we're trying to evangelize them, they're like, oh, here, have some Jesus. They're like, oh, no problem. But then when it comes time to baptize them, they refuse it because that means they have to renounce and break ties with the other 3,000 gods that they've served, you know, and the rituals and the, you know, lifestyle. And so often, people in their families tell them if they accept Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. You know, it breaks cultural family ties that have gone on for generations. You know, it's really difficult for Muslims. It's really difficult for Hindus. You know, different ethnicities where the families are a really strong tie, that it's hard for them to accept Jesus. You know, I remember there was a, a Nepali kid when they first started coming over here. He was on fire for Jesus. And his grandparents, who were still in Nepal, said, if you don't renounce Jesus, we're not coming to America. And he stopped coming to church. And the last time I seen him, he wasn't doing good. You know, he hadn't been to church in quite a while, and his lifestyle was all messed up. And I don't know if his grandparents came or not, but his life got destroyed by that decision. Or when he was coming to church, he was happy and loved Jesus and was serving and because of that one decision, because of a cultural connection, you know, there's people in our lives, people in our families that are going to have struggles with us if we truly sell out for Jesus. You know, because it, it costs us something. You know, but having this relationship with Jesus, who is the only God, you know, teaches us that things can begin to move and heal and change, that we don't need all these different ones. You know, that, you know, as the the Jews were, you know, infiltrating, you know, even Jewish Christians were coming into different communities, that they would tell them that they need to, to follow the law. You know, so they have these, these old deities that are pulling them one way, and now they have this new religion that's pulling them another way. 
and neither one of them are correct. You know, so often, you know, to be a Christian, you need to do this and do that and not do this and not do that and, you know, wear the right clothes and head covering, no head covering, da, 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 da. you know, it's all these rules that we throw on somebody that's brand new. Like, that's not it. Just come. Come as you are. Let Jesus figure that stuff out for that person, you know. And so often we're trying to get people to, to behave right, and yet when we go home, we don't behave right. You know, behave in public. And then go home. Like we're teaching them the Christian facade. But here's these, you know, Paul would recognize them as Judaizers. You know, that they were Christians, but they would push the laws of Moses on people. You know, that they told them that they have to fulfill the laws of the Torah. More specifically, they needed to eat kosher, eat specific things or not eat specific things. They need to celebrate certain sacred days and, you know, the the fun one of circumcision, you know, and that they were all about, you know, getting people circumcised, you know, and it's like if you're not circumcised that you don't really love Jesus. It's like they really wanted to, to make people suffer, you know, and um, all of them, if they were true Jews, they would have been circumcised as babies and they would have never noticed it. But then they want to go around and have grown men getting circumcised and that's pretty sadistic if you ask me. But anyway... <clears throat> But basically, this is the same problem that was addressed in the book of Galatians. You know, Paul's fighting these same group of Jews. You know, it might not be exactly the same people, but it's that same spirit that's that religious spirit that's, you know, trying to prevent people from understanding true love and true grace. You know, Paul goes on to state that, you know, either one of these temptations is compromise. You know, if we let in, you know, some, you know, other gods or other belief systems, or we we have to follow the rules that we're compromising our faith. You know, and in that compromise that we don't really understand who Jesus is. You know, that we have this failure to grasp the gospel. We have this failure to understand what Jesus has truly done and why he did it. And once again, this is why it's so important to, to get into our word and begin to read it for ourselves. That you can't go by what some guy says. You can't go by what the preacher says. You can't go by what the TV says. You know, it's up to you specifically to get into your word and then find somebody that helps you understand some of that stuff. You know, that's why I hand out study Bibles here is that, you know, that you get a lot of the answers so that you don't have to go around, you know, studying this and that and find people. But it's also important that, you know, you find a teacher, you know. What makes us disciples, in a sense, is that we are having discipline come from a teacher. You know, Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. You know, you see other John the Baptist had students, you know, that he was teaching them. You know, and we have to come into this place of open-mindedness that we're willing to learn. And we got to dump out some, you can't fill a full cup. you got to dump out some of what we think we know and begin to learn what the Bible actually says. You know, as I came and I was reading the Bible for the very first time, I'm like, I've never heard this stuff. You know, I've never seen Christians act this way. You know, and I started to learn a lot of the things I thought I knew about Christianity weren't even in the Bible. And I'm like, well, where's this and where's that? Well, it's not biblical. Then why aren't we doing it? Well, I don't know. Someone do whatever, you know, in the long tradition, some rule. And I'm like, that's so stupid. No wonder we don't want this stuff. 
you know, we're following some dead guy that's not Jesus because he's alive. Something that he made up hundreds of years ago and we're still doing it today. And we don't even know why we're doing it. It makes no sense. You know, so Jesus is trying to, to teach us how to have this deeper life. You know, or Paul's trying to teach us how to have this deeper life through, you know, having a relationship with, you know, Jesus and get into our word and have people around us that are teaching us, you know, but we have to be pressing in too, you know. The Colossians used to, you know, this fear of these spiritual powers, you know, Paul referenced them as elemental spirits, you know, that, that Jesus triumphed over all spiritual powers by his death and resurrection. He has freed us from all spiritual forces that maybe bring us fear because of what we used to do and the way we used to live, you know, and some of these severe, crazy practices. You know, I, I know some of you, and you got into some crazy stuff. Oh, guess what? So did I. You know, I, I looked into Wicca stuff for a while, and, you know, oils and rocks and sprays, and, you know, and you got to look at this one, and the stars are telling me that. And, you know, I got 27 pounds of different rocks in my pocket because this one does that, and this one does this. But it was part of my spiritual journey. I, you know, I went from an atheist to a rock collector, apparently. <laughs> And later on, I learned that I only needed one rock, and his name was Jesus, and I try to stand on him to the best of my ability, and, you know, I don't throw stones anymore. But I'm bunch. You know, and, you know, we're learning. We're learning how to do this stuff. You know, many of us don't know. You know, many of us, you know, even if we grew up in a Christian home, we did not have parents that really followed Jesus. You know, we maybe had parents that went to church. But we didn't have parents that read their Bibles and knew, you know, why we did what we did. You know, and maybe some of us did. And maybe it was such a strong religious home and, and it, you know, made us run from God too. You know, that no one's perfect in this thing, you know, except Jesus. And we're trying to figure that stuff out, you know, and some of us have to heal and forgive this parent for that. And some of us need to forgive that parent for this, you know, and that's part of the process. You know, but, you know... Being afraid of some crazy deity or being, you know, thinking that some law is going to make me better usually doesn't work all that much. Because the law doesn't change our selfish heart. It's only the power of Jesus that begins to come in and heal from the inside out. You know, and, you know, this is what Jesus did with his life, death, resurrection. It lacks nothing. It doesn't need to be supplemented by some other spirit. It doesn't need to be supplemented by some you know, tradition or law, but the reality of the laws, you know, are, you know, completely fulfilled by what Jesus did. You know, instead of these laws and following them, instead of, you know, seeking other deities to help us to figure certain things out, you know, Paul's telling them, just follow Jesus. You know, this means to set our minds on things above, where the Messiah is seated at God's right hand, and he rules all over heaven and earth. You know, you know, see this one. See, this doesn't mean that we're about to leave Earth on some day and be in heaven. <laughs> Here we are. We're, we're, we're going back and forth with this thing. You know, I specifically don't believe in the rapture theology. And by any of you, you want to have a chat with me? We can. You know, we just went to see somebody that did. And that's why it's funny. It's because here we are, back in the Bible, and we're looking at this stuff all over again. But anyway, 
But see, this is what's funny to me, is that when you get into the Word, it, it's more clear. You know, that heaven is this transcendent place which Jesus rules everything. And one day, He'll return here and transform all things. So if we're going up there and He's coming here, we're missing something. It's just, it's my, you know, like, I see, where'd you go? You know, like, passing them in the sky. You know, like, like, I don't have to be in heaven anymore. But heaven's where Jesus is. I think I, or earth is where Jesus is. I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot of craziness that's all further the years and this law and this rule and this tradition and this guy and that guy and Bible. You figure it out. You know, and the more you get into your Bible, you'll make your own opinions. You know, and that's what I've learned. You know, that people can argue certain things. If you take this part of the Bible or that part of the Bible, you can argue just about anything. You know, but it's important for us to realize that when Paul is saying this, that the Messiah is revealed to you. See, this is good. The Messiah is revealed to you, and he will reveal us with his glory that when you're really saved or born again and that you've had this transformation power come in you you don't have to to tell anybody around you they instantly start to see it now it may take a day or three or a week but almost instantaneously things are different and it freaks you out a little bit at first because it's like too good to be true you know, and like the weight gets lifted and your eyes are kind of opened and things are happening and you're like, this doesn't make sense. And the shoe's going to drop. I know it. That old mindset of fear tries to creep in and we start trying to talk ourselves out how good it might be. But in the reality, heaven came to us. Why? Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, now that same power that raised him from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit came and is now dwelling inside of us. So he may be at the right hand, but he's also in my heart. You know, and that's where just saying a little prayer doesn't get it. But surrendering our lives, something begins to shift and change. You know, and Paul is challenging them, just like I'm trying to challenge us here today, is that we we surrender our lives and say, Jesus, I, I want to do it your way. My way doesn't work. And we have to do that over and over and over again. You know, just because I did it many years ago and just because I'm doing what I'm doing and just because somebody calls me a pastor does not mean that I don't have to surrender my life again and again and again and again to do it Jesus' way and not Tom's. Because I can pick up my will in the midst of my Christianity and say, well, I think I should do this in Jesus' name. And I just know from, you know, past events in my life, if I do anything, it's Tom's way. It's going to get ugly quick. You know, and I just want to keep surrendering and, and keep following them to the best of my ability. You know, and it's so important that we see this. You know, he's challenging us to be the kind of humans that will become specifically what God is calling us to be. You know, it does not mean anything to me if you claim you're a Christian does not mean anything to me if you got a cross around your neck. I don't know how many times I've been in a store and some person has a cross around their neck and I'm like, oh, what church you go to? Oh, I don't believe in God. And I'm like, so why do you wear the cross? Oh, I thought it was cool. 
like, yeah, that's cool. You know, just because we wear certain jewelry, just because we make some declaration with our lips, does not necessarily mean that I'm following Jesus. I'm surrendered to Jesus. Now, I don't think that it's wrong that you have a cross, as I see your brother's messing with you. I got a cross tattooed on me in several different places. Like, it ain't coming off. You know, that I don't think that it's wrong. However, to the best of my ability, I've surrendered. You know, and other people could tell me I'm not because I have tattoos and they can be wrong. But it is what it is. You know, it's not about the outward appearance. It's about the inward transformation. You know, and no one can really judge that but God. However, humans can judge that by the way we live because of the things that come from our life. You know, and that we can judge someone's fruit, they would say. The motives, the actions. There's fruit in repentance. That I can say I'm sorry, or I can be repentive and be changed. You know, many of us have said I'm sorry way too many times. So we say I'm sorry to certain people, and they're like, yeah, well, okay. Sure. But when we make change, when we really repent, when we... We surrender and we're going a different direction. They should begin to say, something's different about me now. You know, and for some people that we've hurt deeply, it may take a while. Because they're still looking through the lens of their bitterness. Other people that may don't know us all that well, but maybe know us by reputation. And then they hear something new happen and they're going to be like, what happened to you? You know, I still have friends of mine that say, are you still doing that priest thing? Like, no, not a priest. I'm a pastor. Like, what's the difference? I'm like, it's a long story. So, yeah, I'm still doing the priest thing. (laughs) Like, it really doesn't matter in their heads. You know, like, all they know is that I'm doing some weird stuff the way that I used to live, and it's completely different now. But I know that I have two friends that still live in Binghamton that are saved now. And both of them have thanked me repeatedly for the stuff I post on Facebook, that it's helped them and encouraged them. And they've watched my transformation very closely through the lens of social media. So that that's an important window for some of us, you know, that we can use it to show that we're changing. You know, I'm so grateful I wasn't on social media before. But it's pretty funny for some of you that were because things pop up and you're like, oh, my God. And they're like, I, you guys share stuff with me. Like, this is where I was four years ago. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But people are watching. Everyone is always watching. And it's very important for us to realize that people are watching. Because we might be the Bible that someone reads. We might be the Jesus that someone has an encounter with. You know, and they might need to hear the words that come out of our mouths. You know, that changed their life. You know, we never know how we might speak a word into somebody's life in a moment that changes everything for them. You know, I've heard story after story after story of people that have been suicidal, that have been on the verge of of pulling the trigger, doing something crazy, and something happens where somebody got an opportunity to speak into their lives in some random moment, and everything was changed. You know, so I just, I want to encourage each and every one of us that 
We got to dive in. We got to surrender. We got to follow Jesus. We got to get into our word. We need a prayer life. We need to be worshiping God. Like this is stuff that we should be doing apart from Sundays. This is something that we should be doing on a regular basis. That we should have a regular routine trying to figure out Jesus. Trying to grow in our understanding of Jesus. Trying to get ourselves into his presence. Trying to change our lives. And that we shouldn't be doing it alone. That we should have other people around us that are encouraging us and supporting us. Because there's days that we all want to quit. And if you don't say that you want to quit, you're a liar. I want to quit. You know, and it, the guys around support me more than they realize. You know, and we need guys around guys and girls around girls. But we also need that family unity that we're doing stuff together. We're living, you know, this Christianity thing together. That we watch families transform. That we watch lives transform. You know, so I just really want to encourage you, you know, that you guys are doing great. You know, we are doing great, you know, but yet there's more. There's always more. You know, God has more to offer us. God has more to reveal to us. God has more to heal us. So I just really encourage you to press in. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would move powerfully in each one of our lives that you would show us that you are moving more than we can see. More than we can see. That you are upon us, moving around us, showing us that you are real and you are true. So Lord, I pray that you would move right now in a powerful way. I pray for any mental illness to be uprooted right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for depression, anxiety to be broken off right now in Jesus' mighty name. I pray that families would be restored. I pray that, you know, moms would be get their kids back. I pray that dads would get their kids back. I pray that brothers would see brothers and moms would see sons and sons would see moms and dads and, and that things would begin to transform because we're pressing into you and that you're showing us that you are the restorer of things that we thought could not be restored that you're the healer of things that we thought could not be healed. So, Lord, we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.